On today's show, we're talking SEC football. Has the conference's reign as the best in the country finally come to an end? It sure looks like it. And there's also six matchups between top 25 teams this weekend, a huge weekend in college football. There are nine 2-0 teams in the NFL, some of them very surprising. We'll end the show with my best bets of the week. Let's talk some football. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Jeff Adams. I appreciate you for joining me. Sorry for the absence last week. Recorded a gem of a show and then had some technological difficulties. Those being me somehow figuring out how to work a computer and get them to the producer, Rachel Hickey. So those are going to go into the vault. And if I ended up saying anything that was especially insightful as we move down the road, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we put that into a future episode. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about college football, the SEC in particular, long considered the cream of the college football crop, and rightfully so, more players drafted than any other conference, uh, a stranglehold on national championships over the last 15 to 16 years, and it didn't look like there was an end in sight. Well, so far this season, it has looked very different across the college football landscape. Week one, Florida travels to Utah and gets just absolutely dump trucked. Uh, it was a terrible game to watch. LSU gets boat raced by Florida State, 45-21, outscored 31-7 in the second half. LSU was ranked five heading into this matchup and was favored. Also week one, South Carolina loses by two touchdowns to North Carolina, a game in which the Gamecocks were outscored 14-3 in the second half and had 31 rushes for negative two yards. The Tar Heels sacked quarterback Spencer Rattler nine times in that game. Moving along to week two, because maybe it was just a one-week thing. Well, it really wasn't. Number 23, Texas A&M, lost 48-33 at Miami. They led 17-7 in the second quarter and then subsequently were outscored 41-16 the rest of the way. Now, how did that happen? I don't know, because the Aggies had... 10 more first downs than the Hurricanes. Were 8 for 18 on third down. 2 for 3 on fourth down. Ran 28 more plays. Gave up 0 sacks and had 55 penalty yards, which was considerably less than the 115 that the Hurricanes had. Yet, still, the U was dominant. And then, to top it off, in Week 2, Alabama loses at home to number 11, Texas. Crimson Tide at the time were ranked 3rd. The Longhorns trailed for a grand total of one minute and 12 seconds in the entire game. In the entire game. When have you heard about something like that happening to Alabama and Tuscaloosa? Now, the tight couldn't run the ball. 35 rushes for 107 yards. And I know that this has been talked about. But when you're talking, when we talk about what's going on with the SEC and what's going on with college football, a college football season in which the Pac-12 looks amazing. Now, granted, it's early in the college football season. But Alabama dropping a home contest to Texas in which they were dominated on both sides of the ball. If you're an SEC fan and a diehard, I'm sure you're going to try and come up with some kind of ways where this stuff doesn't make any difference. But the proof is in the pudding. And the SEC team, SEC's just getting beaten up and down the field. Now, 
if you are an SEC fan and I'm a Gator, then Missouri helped a little bit when they beat number 15 Kansas State uh, at home this weekend. Now, the pollsters had so little respect for Kansas State in a close loss on the road that after losing that game to the Tigers, they went ahead and dropped State out of the rankings entirely. Also, this past weekend, Vanderbilt lost to UNLV. Does that matter? No, but it, it still isn't good, the optics for your conference, when your teams are going out of conference and losing to teams like UNLV. And then, of course, Arkansas, once again on the action, they lose at home to BYU. So what does it mean? Are there still some undefeated teams left in the SEC? Well, sure they are. Auburn hasn't lost yet. Mississippi's got a big showdown this weekend with Alabama. Georgia, of course, sits atop the polls. And any SEC truther is going to immediately fall back to, well, we still got Georgia. They won the last two national championships. They're ranked number one. Well, sure they are. They didn't look spectacular against South Carolina, a South Carolina team that, by the way, was dominated by an ACC North Carolina team that no one is scared of. And if you want to be on that side of, well, hey, the Bulldogs are just going to do what the Bulldogs do, they don't have a whole lot in front of them in the way of toughness on the schedule. They've got UAB this week, and they're at Auburn. They play Kentucky at Vanderbilt. They got a bye. Then they play the Gators in Jacksonville. And regardless of how Florida looked this weekend against Tennessee, uh, the Gators will be absolutely outmatched. They've got Missouri, Mississippi, and then at Tennessee. Now, last year in this game, which Tennessee was a college football playoff hopeful, it looked like there might be a chance for the Vols to kind of cement their place in college football's elite last season, and then they promptly got just stomped by Georgia, who was up 27-6 before Tennessee got a cheap touchdown late with about four minutes to go. And then the ball, Bulldogs end with Georgia Tech. So there's not a lot of teams on the schedule that are going to make Georgia stop and say, hmm, but when you have a lack of, of quality opponents and quality games during the season, you're not going to be ready for when the college football season playoff rolls around uh there are real concerns for anybody who's an sec fan and thinks that we are still the cock of the walk in college football because i got to be honest with you their teams in the big 10 pac 12 and hell even even the big 12 they kind of scare me a little bit and given that florida state in the acc ran wild all over the lsu tigers in week one the SEC might be coming back down to earth pretty soon. As I stated, a bunch of big-time college matchups this weekend. Six games featuring two top 25 teams, and that doesn't include Florida State at Clemson. Now, we're going to talk about this game even though Clemson is not ranked because one of these two teams has won the ACC every year but one going back to 2011. That would have been Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh in 2021. Now, the Seminoles are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Clemson's 2-1. and one. Their only loss was opening week at Duke, 28-7. They were never in the game. They've also beaten Charleston Southern and FAU, so they really haven't done anything. Florida State, on the other hand, is 3-0. and and Other than the big win against LSU, they played an overmatched Southern Miss team and then looked bad against Boston College this weekend. But not anything to get worried about if you're a Seminole fan because that's what Florida State does under Mike Norvell. They play up or down to the level of competition. 
Now, if there is a concern, it's that Jordan Travis went down non-throwing shoulder, seemed to be banged up a little bit. He stayed in the game for majority of the game. The backup, Tay Rodemaker, came in to take a knee, right? But we've talked about it before. If Jordan Travis is not healthy, this Florida State team, I mean, you could go ahead and pencil them for maybe 20th in the country. Maybe they stay in the top 25 because regardless of how good the defense is, regardless of how much talent they have on the outside at wide receiver, how well they run the ball, if they don't have Jordan Travis, they don't go. Now, Clemson has won the last seven matchups in the series, and nine of the last 10 versus FSU in Death Valley. The Tigers have also won 19 of their last 20 at home. If you watched the Seminoles last weekend against the Eagles of Boston College on the road, you know that Florida State is capable of laying an egg. I think Dabo gets Clemson up for this one. I will take the Tigers in an upset. Number 19, Colorado at number 10, Oregon. Now, this one opened up at Ducks by 19.5 and, and quickly moved to Ducks by 21 because betters know that this line is stinky despite Colorado being exciting to watch and Dion being so magnetic. The Buffs, they really haven't played anyone. Now they've got win, wins over number 17 Texas Christian in week one, a very overrated TCU team who has since won two games, but then they beat Nebraska in week two, who was one and two, and then an overtime victory over Colorado State, who was now 0-2 and, and won three games last year. So they've beaten three teams with a combined 3-5 and five record on the season. And of those three wins, their opponents have beaten Northern Illinois and Nichols, an FCS school. I had to look it up, and it's not spelled how you think. I'll let you go ahead and do a little research of your own on that one. Now, Travis Hunter, the do-everything defensive back and wide receiver for FSU, is going to be out, and that is not ideal. The Buffs run for 61 yards a game. You're not going to win consistently doing that. And Shador Sanders was sacked four times last week. That kind of stuff's going to happen when you pass the ball 47 times. But part of that, part of that insane number of passes is that you can't run the ball. So if you can't run the ball and you're just going to keep on dropping your quarterback back five-step, seven-step drops, it's lucky. They're very fortunate that Shador has some escapability. Otherwise, their record might look a little bit different. Now, to be fair, Oregon hasn't really played a murderer's row of opponents so far. Portland State, Texas Tech, and Hawaii. But this is a quarterback matchup. Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer, who struggled, the whole team struggled last year, week one, to Georgia, and just got absolutely demolished, and then bounced back to have a fantastic season. Colorado is not the 19th best team in the country. They're a nice story. I don't want to take anything away from them but they're traveling to Eugene to play a superior team with superior talent. Maybe not on the outside, not on the perimeter, but definitely across the front line. Colorado also hosts USC next week. Shouldn't be a look-ahead game, but I think it might be. I'll take Oregon to end this undefeated early season, dream season for the Colorado Buffaloes. Our next game, number 15, Ole Miss, and number 13, Alabama, the Tide, a seven-point favorite. This game opened at 15.5 points, and everybody knows that Alabama shouldn't be given that many points to a top 25 team, especially one that's coached by Lane Kiffin. Now, the Rebels are 3-0 and and had a nice win against number 24, Tulane, in Week 2. And Alabama struggled against South Florida last weekend, 
after that Texas debacle. Not what you would like to have seen from Alabama, but there was a lot of weather. Alabama has apparently decided to stop the quarterback carousel and named Jalen Milrow the starter. If you're going to make it work in Alabama, if you're going to win games, if you're going to still challenge for the SEC championship, which you can do, your losses to Texas, that's out of conference. They don't join the SEC until next year. You have got to do better by Jalen Milrow because he's not the problem. Does he throw the ball well? No. Does he hold the ball too long? Yes. Does he have trouble finding receivers? Absolutely. But he's the best you got. And it's not like this is a new problem. You knew this last year when Bryce Young was out, that Jalen Milrow wasn't a fantastic passer of the football and that he is an elite athlete. You might want to think about tweaking the game plan just a tad to take advantage of what he does well, which is run the ball and be athletic and not ask him to continue to drop back like you did against Texas and try and find open receivers, especially when you don't have any elite receivers to speak of. And that's not just this year. It's not like Bryce Young was throwing to first-round draft picks last year when he played for Alabama, right? Those, those years of having one, two, three first-round wide receivers, those are gone for right now as far as Alabama is concerned. So if Alabama is going to have any kind of shot, they've got to change the offensive game plan, and they got to change it quick. And if you're not, if you're going to just keep calling drop-back play-action passes, which are really difficult when you can't run the ball, then take Jalen Milrow out and play Ty Simpson, who also isn't that fantastic of a thrower, but at least that's his game. Help your quarterback out. Now, quarterback on the other side from Mississippi, Jackson Dart is good. If you haven't seen him, you're going to get an opportunity this weekend. He's thrown for seven touchdowns and just one interception. The concern here, he leads the team in rushing. And he's not like putting up 100 yards, 150 yards a game. That is a monstrous concern, especially given that Quinshawn Judkins is lining up a tailback, a guy who I touted as a dark horse Heisman candidate and also predicted would have 2,000 yards rushing on the season. Well, he's got 145, which would be cool if we hadn't played three games. He's averaging 3-3 a carry, so there are problems up front. Now, normally this would be a concern against a Nick Saban Coast Alabama team, but the Crimson Tide offensive and defensive lines both looked just pedestrian. They're very slow on the offensive line. If you saw the graphic, they have three offensive linemen that go over 340. Well, those guys have a little trouble getting out of their stance. So I look for Jalen Milrow to be pressured again. Now, Alabama's won 19 of 20 at home and 13 of the last 14 at home against Mississippi. I'm going to take the Rebels in this one. They have a distinct advantage at quarterback. And as we are now seeing... Nick Saban is not invincible against his former coaches. I think another one gets a win here, Lane Kiffin. I'll take Mississippi. Now, we've also got number 22, UCLA, at number 11, Utah, number 14, Oregon State, and number 21, Washington State. And I could talk about those, only I don't want to, and you don't want to hear about them because, let's be honest, not a whole lot of you are Big Ten fans. I'm not going to talk about those because nobody wants to hear anything about UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, or Washington State. And while we're on that topic, number 24, Iowa, number 7, Penn State. Not a whole lot of Big Ten fans on the pod, I don't think. But nobody wants to hear me talk about them either. Although, I will tell you, the Lions, 14.5-point favorite. Iowa's ranked 24th. Through three games, 
They have 906 yards of offense. I think that's enough analysis of that game. There's, I don't see any way possible that the Hawkeyes go into Penn State and get a win. But speaking of Big Ten football, Ohio State ranks six, travels to South Bend to take on number nine, Notre Dame. The Buckeyes are three-point favorites. Now, this game opened at seven and a half and was quickly bet down. Ohio State finally settled squarely on a quarterback. That's Kyle McCord. I don't know why there was any question. He's clearly better than anybody else they have. And through three games, he's completed 70% of his passes, and he's thrown three touchdowns in each of the last two games. Now, they haven't played anybody in either of those two games, and it helps that he's throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Ibuka because those guys are going to be day one picks. But all you can do is all you can do. So Kyle McCord's been going out and taking care of business. Notre Dame, on the other hand, they also haven't really played any major competition. They do have a nice 21-point road win against North Carolina State earlier in the season. The difference between this Notre Dame team and all the other Notre Dame teams for the last 20 years is quarterback. Wake Forest transfer Sam Hartman, the ACC's all-time touchdown leader in passing, has 13 touchdowns. Now they've played four games, so okay, cool. The big deal, zero interceptions in those four games. If you cannot turn the ball over, if you can be efficient passing, and Notre Dame always has skill and talent across both lines, and they're usually solid defensively, then you're going to be okay. And Audrey Estime, running back, 521 yards, averaging 8-3 a carry. The Fighting Irish gave the Buckeyes all they could handle week one last year. I think they do it again, but being at home is a difference. I'll take Notre Dame in an upset. Let's transition from college football to a little NFL. We're going to try a new segment out here called What the Hell? What the hell is that? After two weeks, there are nine 0-2 teams in the NFL. Now, obviously, there aren't that many other records you can have, but to have nine teams that are winless is a little surprising. Although some of the teams that have yet to win a game are not surprising, so I put them into a few categories. The first category, not surprising. That'd be teams like Arizona, Carolina, Chicago, and Houston. Those teams sucked before the season. We assume they would suck during the season. And then they will be picking near the top of the draft at the conclusion of the season. I'm going to add one other team into the not surprising category for a completely different set of circumstances. That will be the New England Patriots. Not because I think they're not good, but because if you had looked at their schedule before the season started and seen that they hosted Philadelphia and Miami in weeks one and two, I don't think many people would have been surprised if sitting here at the beginning of week three that the Pats were winless. Now, the next category, not crazy about these two teams, but they lost their first two, really? That would be Denver and Minnesota. And then finally, in the last section of this group, somebody is going to get their ass fired, and that would be Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, since the NFL-AFL merger in 1970, 470 teams have started 0-2, and only 39 have made the playoffs. That's less than 10%. How is that relevant? Well, because we got nine teams. Let's pretend that it's 10. That means one of these teams right here that's going 0-2 has a chance to make the playoffs. And I say that with a, an absolute grain of salt. Now, we're going to talk about just four of these teams. The first is Denver. Now, they're dealing with injuries. Uh, to say they're thin 
at receiver, I think, would be uh, an insult to Than. But my biggest takeaway from the first two weeks for the Broncos is that Sean Payton does not care for Russell Wilson, like, at all. Like, he doesn't come out and back him up uh, in the press. Uh, he doesn't go out of his way. It doesn't seemingly on the sideline. Like, he looks like, like you when you're talking to your 18-year-old, who should know better and still keeps doing dumb shit. That's what the look on Sean Payton's face is. And there's no way that they can get away from Russell Wilson anytime soon. His dead cap number this year is $107 million. For those of you that aren't overly familiar with what that means, that means that if you cut Russell Wilson, if the Broncos cut him, then he counts $107 million against the salary cap. In 2024, he counts $85 million against the cap if they cut him. And in 2025, he counts $49 million. Now, there's a potential out after that 2025 season and prior to the 2026 season, but things don't look good in Denver and Broncos country. Uh, let's not ride. Uh, Russell Wilson might, might just test the theory that Sean Payton can fix any quarterback, and also the theory that Sean Payton isn't going to just make the Broncos' ownership eat that money and put his team kind of in the hole behind the eight ball and get rid of Russell Wilson as soon as possible. The Minnesota Vikings, 13-4 and last year, and we all saw the regression coming. Uh, they were 11-0 in one-score games, so you knew that there was going to be a little bit of coming back to the pack, but for the Vikings, the Vikings, Vikings fans... It's they haven't been awful so far. I mean, did you think that they were going to lose to the Bucs at home? No. But again, if you listen to this show, I thought the Bucs were better than most people did. I, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they have quite a bit of veteran talent on the roster. And the Vikes only dropped that game by three. And then they came back and made a respectable respectable against the Eagles. Only lost by six. I mean, you're talking about the Super Bowl runner-up. So not all is lost for Minnesota. And I really like head coach Kevin O'Connell. Um, if you watched uh, that series on, on Netflix quarterback, I just like the way that he deals with and handles Kirk Cousins. And they've got the Chargers this weekend. A Chargers team who's also 0-2 on this list we're about to talk about. I think the Vikings win that game. It's in Minnesota. Um, Brandon Staley is a clown. We'll get to that. But Minnesota's got those Chargers. Then they've got Carolina. And some, the rest of the way on the schedule, I'm not going to give you the whole schedule, but they, get, they, they play the Bears twice, who are terrible. They've got Atlanta, who has looked good, but they've got Desmond Ritter, quarterback. New Orleans, who looks like Derek Carr's never learned how to play quarterback. Denver, who we already talked about. The Raiders, who, shit, they might have the number one pick in the draft. A Cincinnati team who's got hobbled Joe Burrow and who was 0-2. And then they get to play Detroit twice now. Is Detroit better? Yes, so they go in the division, maybe. But they are going to have to, the Lions are going to have to come to, to Minnesota. And we all know Jared Goff uh, is a different quarterback at home and a much worse quarterback on the road. Uh, I know they got the win week one in Kansas City, but he completed less than 63% of his passes and had only one touchdown passing, and that was without Chris Jones in the lineup. So there are a lot of winnable games. I don't, I don't anticipate the Vikings getting to 10 wins. But in the NFC, 
where nine or maybe eight can get you into the playoffs, I think all is not lost for the Vikings. The Bengals, 0-2. They lost at Cleveland in week one. Shouldn't have been a surprise. We told you before that game that the Browns have the Bengals number, and they've now won nine of the last 11 straight up when they're playing Cincinnati. And then they lost to the Ravens at home by three. So another tough divisional game with a premier quarterback. I'm not concerned that they lost two division games to two good teams. What I am concerned about is Joe Burrow's calf. He missed almost all the training camp, seemingly came back early, definitely doesn't look good, and if he ain't right, Cincinnati doesn't have a chance. Obviously, if you could turn back the clock and they knew then what they know now, that they were going to be sitting at 0-2, they probably would have sat Joe Burrow for another month, right, and let him heal up more. They didn't, so that ship has sailed. But without a healthy Joe Burrow, Cincinnati's fucked. I mean, big time. Listen to what they've got coming up. They play the Rams this week, a plucky Rams team who, to be honest, I think is going to win. Uh, then they're at Tennessee. Mike Vrabel uh, is going to have his boys ready to play. They get a little break. They go to Arizona. Then they play Seattle before heading into the bye week. If they don't take probably three of those next four, at least two, it's bad news coming out of the bye because their next six are at San Francisco, home to Buffalo, Houston, at Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and at Jacksonville. Their season might be over halfway through the year. Not looking good for the Bengals. And then finally, the last team that's 0-2 that I think should be extremely concerned is the Chargers, the Superchargers of Los Angeles. Now they've scored 58 points. In their, in their two games. That's good for second in the AFC, just two points behind the Dolphins. But they've allowed 63, which is worse than the conference, and the next closest is seven points away, and that's the Houston Texans. Now they've got an overtime loss at Tennessee and a week one home loss by two to the Dolphins. So they're actually playing good teams, good coaches. The losses to Tennessee was on the road. So, I mean, it's okay. But they've got Minnesota this week. I think they lose that game. They've also got Dallas, Buffalo, Baltimore. They play the Chiefs twice, and they still have to play New England. Now, for those of you who roll your eyes and are not Bill Belichick or Mac Jones fans, you don't have to be. But I will tell you that in his career, Justin Herbert is 0-2 against the Patriots, has thrown for two touchdowns and four interceptions. Bill knows how to defend young quarterbacks. But to me, this is all about Brandon Staley. I did a rant on last week's episode that we couldn't get published where I went off on head coach Brandon Staley. Now, I don't feel any different. I just think I was going to be a lot earlier to the party than everybody else because since this loss, every talking head has had plenty to say about Brandon Staley. If you're a defensive head coach, you shouldn't be giving up 63 points in your first two games, even if it is to a Tyreek Hill to a led offense. You gave up 36 points there. But you also gave up 27 to Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Tyreek Hill went for 11, 215, and 2. How is it that you don't roll coverage to Tyreek Hill or double him? Like, that's just football 101. Hey, this guy is bending us over. Let's do some stuff to keep him from continuing to bend us over. 
that's not even like genius type shit. That's just, hey, that guy just caught another pass. Let's not, let's not let him do that. And it's not like they are devoid of talent on the defensive side of the ball, right? They've got one of the best edge rushers in the league, Joey Bosa. I'm not going to talk about Khalil Mack. Give me a break. They've got better corners, J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., and they've got maybe the best safety in the league in Derwin James. Can you roll him over the top, maybe? Maybe? Holy shit. Brandon Staley should be fired right now. Get rid of him. And I know the Spanos family doesn't like to pay coaches, to not coach, but good God, he is just not worth, he, he's not worth the time. And I don't care that he's getting snippy with reporters. It doesn't make any difference to me. It's, it, it, that couldn't be further from what my concern would be about this Chargers team. It's that they're scoring almost 30 a game and their defensive head coach with talent everywhere and a ton of money spent on that side of the ball can't get his head far enough out of his ass to figure out we need to make someone other than Tyreek Hill beat us. It's not hard. It's not that hard. Everybody's seen the Patriots play the Dolphins and then the Chiefs, whether the Dolphins win or not, but when Tyreek Hill was there, yet nobody plays Tyreek Hill like Bill Belichick does. You take your best corner and you put him on the number two receiver. In this case, that would be Jalen Waddle. Then you double Tyreek Hill with your second corner and a safety. Now you're going to tell me that doesn't work. I'm going to tell you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about because in Tyreek Hill's last five games against New England, that being three with the Dolphins, two with the Chiefs, he's averaged 63 yards receiving and has scored a total of two touchdowns. He did almost more than that in one game against Brandon Staley. Holy shit, what are we talking about? All right, that rant's over. Let's get to my best bets of the week. I've got four games for you. The first, Tennessee at Cleveland. I just got done talking to you about how much I like Mike Vrabel. The Browns are a three-point favorite in this one. They were four-and-a-half-point favorites before the loss on Monday night to the Steelers and that gruesome knee injury by Nick Chubb. So the line sits at three. Cleveland is a running team. Now, they've always been a running team since Kevin Stefanski got to town. But even if they didn't want to run the ball, they're going to have to because so far Deshaun Watson sucks. You can't put the ball in his hands. And even after Nick Chubb left with injury and Jerome Ford came in, they just continued to run the ball and they ran it with success. They're going to continue to do that. Only problem in this matchup is that since the start of the 2022 season, the Titans have allowed the fewest rushing yards in the league and the lowest yards per carry in the league. If you picked up Jerome Ford in fantasy, this is not the week to try him on. Do not put him in your lineup. Find somebody else. Now, I'm on the Titans in this game, especially if they're getting three. I don't care. The Ryan Tannehill was terrible in week one against New Orleans when he threw three interceptions and completed just 47% of his passes. And I also don't care that he looked better in week two when they beat the Chargers and he threw 83% completions and had one touchdown and no interceptions. I don't care. What matters is that they covered both of those games and that Mike Vrabel is 24-9-1 against the spread as an underdog of three or more. Now, again, I told you the line went from four and a half to three. This still fits that bill. 86% of the money's on the Titans. I am too, and that's where you should be. New Orleans at Green Bay. The Packers are a two-point favorite. This opened at Green Bay minus half a point and has since moved 
up to Green Bay minus two. I don't understand how that works. Two-thirds of the bets and two-thirds of the money are on New Orleans, so I don't get that because if more money's coming in on one team, you don't usually give them more points, but I digress. Now, the Saints' offense is absolutely atrocious. They've scored 36 points in two games. Now, the defense has allowed just 32, but they've played against Ryan Tannehill and Bryce Young. Not exactly the cream of the quarterback crop. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Love is, but he has looked good in two weeks, and he's surprisingly, surprisingly, looks like he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFC, at least for the time being. Now, the Saints are coming off a short week following their Monday nighter in Carolina. Saints head coach Dennis Allen is 21-32-3 against the spread in his career. Matt LaFleur is 42-26 against the number. The Packers are 6-1 against the spread in their last seven. I'll take Green Bay, and I'll lay the points. The Patriots at the Jets. New England, two-and-a-half-point favorite. I know what you're thinking. You've watched New England play. They can't score. What are you doing taking New England if they're giving up points? Well, they're playing the Jets, and there's no need to talk about New England because we can just talk about Zach Wilson, who is terrible at football. In his four games, his four starts against New England, he has averaged 173 yards per game passing and has thrown a total of two touchdowns to seven interceptions. By the way, he's 0-4 in those starts. Now, the Jets have covered just two of their last 10 versus Billy and just one of the last five. I know you look at a team being quarterbacked by Zach Wilson and look across the sideline and see that Bill Belichick is on the opposite sideline and do anything but put your money on New England. They haven't covered a spread yet this year. They do this week. I'll take New England minus the points. And finally, Philadelphia at Tampa. The Eagles, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. 84% of the money is on the Eagles in this game. Mine is not. Now, I understand Philadelphia has a better quarterback. They have a better coach, and it just doesn't look right. But they have injuries all over the back of their, half of their defense, including a starting cornerback and a safety. And if you haven't seen the apparent resurgence of Mike Evans, that dude is running around like it's 2017. Catching touchdowns, going deep, 1,000-yard seasons. Chris Godwin still doing well, and Baker Mayfield is making good decisions with the football. If that continues, I don't see there's any way that the Bucs don't cover this number. The Eagles, they have the most sacks in the NFL last year and one of the best defenses in the league. Well, they gave up 300-plus yards to Mac Jones in week one and 350 to Cousins last week. They can be thrown on. I'll take the Bucs. Getting five and a half. That's going to do it for me. I appreciate you listening. Please make sure you tune in, and I'll see you next week.